Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Emma Ajimang, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Special Guest Patrick Connolly, Certified Financial Planner at Chase Devere. A couple of days ago, Chancellor of the Exchequer Philip Hammond delivered his first, and as he explained, last autumn statement. From the point of view of investors and savers, there wasn't a lot of news. Maybe a relief after all the tinkering of pensions over the past few years. But there was one tweet to the pensions regime that could curtail investor freedoms. Patrick, what was this and how detrimental is it? Yeah, it, it was probably a breath of fresh air. that There was so little this this time around that affected personal finance and investments and pensions. Um, the, the one change that you refer to is a proposed reduction in the money purchased annual allowance. Now, what that means is if people have used the pension freedoms, which came into place um, April 2015, and have been deemed to access their pensions flexibly, the amount they're able to contribute into a pension tax-efficiently is less than for most other people. So the standard annual allowance for most people is £40,000. So you or I, on the basis we have an access to our pensions flexibly, are able to put in £40,000 into a pension up to that tax efficiently. Plus, we're also allowed to carry forward unused allowances from the previous three years. Now, if you've already accessed your pensions flexibly, you don't benefit from the 40000 allowance. The allowance you currently get is only £10,000. And importantly, you're also not able to f- carry forward any unused allowances. Now, what the Chancellor has said is from next April, he's looking to reduce that 10,000 allowance down to just £4,000 allowance, which clearly would have a big impact on those who either have already accessed their pensions flexibly or are planning to and want to continue contributing into a pension afterwards. OK, so uh, penal for people in that circumstance, but uh, yeah, OK for the rest of us. It, it is. I, I think the important point is, is that people need to look long and hard about how they access their pensions, because you can take money from your pensions that doesn't trigger the money purchase annual allowance. So if you take your 25% tax-free cash, um, if you take a small pot payment, you're allowed to take three pension pots up to £10,000, or if you buy an annuity, it doesn't trigger it. But if you take other courses of action, such as setting up drawdown and taking money from drawdown, or if you encash a bigger pot in one go, then it does trigger the allowance. So it should make people think long and hard about, firstly, how they access their pension. And secondly, if they have already flexibly accessed it, they need to review how much they're paying into it. Okay, some helpful points there. Now, for savers, meanwhile, there was a bit of good news with the announcement of a new NS&I product. Patrick, can you tell us a bit more about this? Yes. Um, so Philip Hammond has said they're looking to launch another product from, from NSNI, as you say. Um, this one, he suggested a rate of 2.2%. I don't think that's yet set in stone, but it's an indicative rate, if nothing else, uh, which is going to be a growth product over a three-year period. You're only able to invest up to £3,000 into it. So um, with, the, with the old pensioner bonds, right, previously there were two tranches. You can invest up to £10,000 into each of those. So actually can give some real benefit to people here it's useful but with three thousand pound investment 2.2 percent interest you're looking at total interest of 66 pounds per year it's not the most exciting although it is nice um 
what would have been better? I mean, the, the product doesn't pay income, which, mm. which isn't helpful. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice gesture, but it's, it's nothing to get too excited about. OK, thanks, Pat. Some uh, helpful points. And you can read our full budget roundup on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Now, there are many uncertainties ahead in the investment landscape, but one thing that does seem certain next year is higher inflation. This is a concern for investors as it can have an impact on your savings and investments, so it's important to factor it into your planning. Emma, you've been looking at this, so should you take action against it? The short answer is yes, Leonora. I mean, currently inflation is 0.9%, but obviously due to the fall in the pound, which is going to be making imports more expensive and rising energy prices, you know, expect it's expected to increase next year. The Bank of England expects it to rise to 2.7% by the end of 2017. And some estimates have gone even higher. Um, so yes, it's definitely something to plan for. But the problem is it's, it's hard to predict the future. And some of the analysts that I spoke to for this week's article said that um, of all they expect a spike in inflation next year, they're not sure it's going to be sustained um, past that point because um, the factors that have, have led to the, the spike in inflation um, are, are, are sort of one-offs, they think. They don't think the pound's going to fall again to the extent that we've seen it fall this year. So, you know, it's, it, the jury's out as to how much inflation um, we are going to be seeing next year. Okay, so actually, should you factor it into your planning? I think that you definitely you should factor it into your planning because you know the, the key thing is to not focus on the short term, plan for the long term because although we don't quite know what's going to happen next year or the year after, um, what we can sort of um, you know be pretty sure about is that there is going to be inflation over the next twenty years or, or you know a longer time frame. So you do need to plan for the long term. For example, if inflation is running at 3% every year over the next 23 years, it will halve your pot. So that's something that investors need to be aware of and to to, to realise that inflation will erode the value of your investments in real terms over the long term. Okay, so um, what kind of assets should you include in your portfolio to combat long-term inflation? There are a number of options. The key thing is to have a balanced and diversified portfolio um, and to have some exposure to shares because these are expected generally to outperform over the long term. Um, you might also want to have some exposure to fixed income and the people we spoke to for this article at the moment were some were wary about fixed income and bonds and um, the fact they're so expensive right now but the people that we spoke to suggested short duration bonds and bond funds as an option because these are less sensitive um, to inflation and interest rates changes but they still give you some diversification from, from other areas and another alternative is infrastructure or property which are both useful assets for protecting against inflation because the revenues they receive are often linked um, index to inflation, CPI or RPI. So that's something that you might want to add in your portfolio as well. Okay. Can you suggest some funds for accessing these assets? Yeah. UK equity income funds. I mean, there's there's lots of, of very good funds around. Um, for example, IC Top 100 Fund, Newton Global Income is, is one example. Um, for short-term bonds, you could consider Access Sterling Credit Short Duration Bond Fund. For property, I mean, there's you know there's a range of, of options. The analysts we spoke to preferred um, investment trust for property, and mentioned TR property, which is 
um, the only trust to invest primarily in property shares rather than directly in property. And for infrastructure, there are a number of options. For example, IC Top 100 Fund First State Global Listed Infrastructure Fund and Hickel um, Infrastructure as well. Okay, some uh, interesting ideas. Um, Patrick, what sort of allocation do you think investors should have to combat long-term inflation? That really depends on the individual. I mean, I, I agree with everything that Emma said there. I mean, we we don't really know what inflation is going to be like in the short term. There are lots of factors that, that can push it up. And obviously, the, the currency is one of them. But it, it is right that you assume that there will be inflation over the longer term. And as a result, you need to take account of that in your portfolios, uh, which is why it's not usually sensible to have too much money sitting in cash, especially with interest rates as low as they are at the moment it's very likely that you're going to end up losing money in real terms if you do that. Um, In terms of the investment approach, um, I'd I'd agree again with what Emma's saying, that there isn't one asset class or one product that's going to solve this problem for you. The only product that you can guarantee will be inflation is the National Savings Index Linked Savings Certificates, but they're not generally available anyway. So the best approach is to hold assets that you think are going to beat inflation and have the opportunity to do that, such as equities, but also to spread risks as well. And you'd spread risk by holding other asset classes, such as fixed interest, alongside it. Um, in, in terms of figure, as I say, it really does vary from individual to individual. I would say you need to hold enough equities to benefit, but not too much that you're taking too much risk. For a balanced average, if there is such a thing, investor, that could be perhaps half or 60% in equities with, with, with the other half or 40% in diversifying assets. Okay. Emma mentioned a few funds. Are there any funds that um, you'd suggest for getting exposure to these uh, assets for combating inflation? Yeah, again, the the answer isn't isn't individual funds as such. It's more building the portfolio and having the right funds in there to Mm. do that. Um, If you're looking at funds to beat inflation, then those that are producing a natural income would be a good starting point, especially if that income is at or above the level of inflation that you might get anyway. And and so you could look at UK or global equity funds. Um, Emma mentioned the Newton Global Income Fund, which is a very good fund and is one we use. Um, Invesco Perpetual Global Equity Income is another one that, that, that's good. Um, in terms of the UK, Artemis Income, um, Aviva Investors Equity Income, the Woodford Fund is a good fund mm. as well. There, there, there's a lot of choice out there in income investments. And obviously, investment companies know there is a great demand for them. So they'll continue to focus on them as well. Okay. Now, Emma was saying that, uh, you know, you should plan for long term, um, short term, it might not be so bad. Do you think inflation poses a real risk to investors at the moment, you know, over short term, or is it just really a long term issue? There, there are factors which suggest that inflation is going to rise. And the most obvious one, as, as Emma's alluded to, is in terms of the weakening of the currency. We've also seen a rise back in energy prices, which which is having an effect as well. it's very difficult to predict, but it looks like inflation will edge upwards. And I, the concern of of making inflation predictions, which which is incredibly difficult, uh, I I sort of agree with the sentiment that Emma suggested that those factors look like they're short-term factors. We could be sitting here in six months' time and there may well be other factors that are either pushing inflation up or inflation down. Could it be in six months that it's sterling strengthened and if actually the the impact isn't as great as people think? Very possibly. So uh, I would say try not to get too drawn in with what you think might happen to inflation in the very short term, but make sure your portfolio is set up for it over the longer term. Okay. Um, With that in mind, um, what other risks should investors um, bear in mind at the moment? 
just briefly? Oh, well, there, there are risks everywhere you look. I mean, you only need to look at different asset classes. I mean, equities arguably are expensive. US markets are, are at or around high, high levels. Valuations are potentially stretched. We're looking at company earnings. Fixed interest is expensive. At the moment, a lot of fixed interest. The flip side to that, of course, is, is there's ongoing demand for it. There, there are institutional and pension funds who are buying it. Properties had its own problems in terms of some of the um, major open-ended funds have been um, suspended, mm. although they're all virtually back now running mm. again. Um, infrastructure gets built up a lot. Infrastructure seems to be put across as, as, as almost a risk-free asset class, which it isn't mm-hmm. at all. So there are risks involved there. Um, and cash is paying you next to nothing. So there, there are risks wherever you look, which is why you need to be aware of that. If capital protection is important to you, you definitely need to be aware of that. And, and, and you need to diversify as much as you can. Okay, thank you, Patrick. Some really useful pointers there. Now, if you invest in funds, no doubt you have a good look at the fact sheet before committing your money to it. And hopefully, even after you invest, um, you look at the fact sheet to monitor what progress your fund is making. But while fact sheets can contain a lot of useful information, one statistic they don't usually include is the portfolio turnover ratio. Emma, you've been looking at this. So first of all, what is the portfolio turnover ratio, or some people shorten it to the PTR? Well, the PTR is basically a measure of how frequently assets um, are bought and sold within a fund. So they measure the percentage of a portfolio that the fund manager replaces on an annual basis. So it's basically how much the fund manager is sort of changing on an, on an annual basis in terms of their investments. What he's buying and selling, exactly. basically. Okay. Now, why is it important to look at this figure if you can get if you can if you can find it yeah sure yeah um, I mean it's important because um, a lower annual turnover figure indicates a long-term approach um, that the fund manager is taking so I mean if they're if they're buying and selling investments you know on a continual basis and the um, PTR is you know close to 100% it shows that they're taking a very short-term approach they're not planning to hold these investments for the long term so that's why it's important to be able to to see the approach the manager is taking and of course also the the transaction um these transactions cost money so the more that they trade in and out the higher the costs will be for transactions which will eat into the returns that the fund gives investors so it's important for that reason as well okay when um, when isn't this figure so relevant well, it doesn't tell you anything about overall performance. So um, a fund manager, you know, the people we spoke to said that some fund managers are very have a high turnover, um, but actually the performance is, is very good. So arguably, you know, what's the problem here? Um, so that, that's something that this figure is not going to tell you. So it's not necessarily a low turn um, PTR equals good performance. Okay. Patrick, um, how important do you think it is for investors to know what a fund's PTR is? Yeah, this is, this is a very topical issue because the industry regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, issued a report very recently mm. looking at the transparency of investment funds and the charges of investment funds. And it's certain that there are areas that need improvement. And this falls in, in, in significant part in terms of the transparency side of things. From from an individual investor's perspective, you would be happy if your fund had a high turnover and was performing well. You'd be happy if it had a low turnover and it's performing well. The, the, the problem with the with the turnover is you cannot see how that's reflected anywhere because at the moment the ongoing charge figure, which which is put forward, doesn't include transaction charges. And so 
if a fund has a high turnover, the charges are likely to be higher, but at the moment that's hidden from the investor. So it's important now, because there isn't the clear transparency you need, if there was an overall charge figure, which included all of the transaction charges as well as the other charges that are already included, and investors could see that clearly, they could then look at the performance and compare that with the charges and then make an informed decision in terms of whether that was good value for money or not, really without even needing the, the turnover figure. So at the moment, it's good, it's useful, it lets investors know or gives them an idea in, the, in terms of the approach the investors take. But the big issue with with turnover and with transactions is charges and at the moment that's that's the bit that's hidden and that's the bit of the gap that needs to be completed okay now if a fund has a high ptr would this be a reason not to invest in it uh no it would depend on on the performance of the fund if a fund has high charges which again would link into having a high ptr then that might be a reason and you'd need to be even more certain that the performance could justify those charges. So, as I say, it boils down to the fact that higher turnover means higher charges and are those justified? And at the moment, those charges are largely hidden in terms of the transaction charges. And so many investors won't know at all turnover rates in terms of their portfolios. One, because they're not actively disclosed, as, 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 as you've alluded to previously, but also, too, because the charge figures in total aren't disclosed either, so people cannot even see it through there. Okay. I mean, what other information is important when choosing a fund? God, there's a fair bit of information that, that's hmm, important. But just in summary, I mean, uh, if, you know, if, 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 if you're you picking a fund, it's um, very useful to have a good understanding of who the uh, manager and investment team are, the processes that they're going to use, the charges, the the times when the fund is likely to perform well or badly because certain funds perform well in certain scenarios. And, and it's very easy to look at short-term performance and get disillusioned with a fund or even sell out of a fund. Well, actually, if you understood that fund, the, the underperformance in a short period may well be understandable. So I, I, I would say most important, having a full understanding of the fund, when it's likely to do well, when it's likely to do badly, and how much you're paying for it. Okay. Now, Emma, one fund group's actually announced that it's going to start publishing PTRs on its fund fact sheets. Um, who, who is this and why? It's Bailey Gifford, and they've announced that they're going to be um, publishing the portfolio turnover ratio for all their retail funds and investment trusts. Um, and they said that they're doing it to, you know, to, to prove really that they're taking a long-term investment approach and to give the increased transparency to investors. So I think this is definitely part of what Patrick was saying, you know, um, the increased pressure on, on the fund industry to to kind of show that um, they're producing active management that that's worth paying for. And this it seems to be an attempt by Bailey Gifford to to kind of give some some hard figures to the fact that their their funds are are doing this. Um, that's what they'd like to to kind of put out there. Okay, and, and what kind of levels of PTR do Bailey Gifford funds have? Well, they all their PTRs are under um, what well, around about thirty three percent and under. So um, the analyst we spoke to said that any figure below thirty percent is an indication of low t- turnover. So Bailey Gifford definitely falls um, within that. Their funds range from five percent for the Bailey Gifford Global Discovery Fund up to 33% for the Bailey Gifford American Fund. So definitely all within that low turnover range. Okay. Pat, do you, do you know of any other fund groups um, other than Bailey Gifford that disclose PTRs? Um, or can 
people find it, you know, anywhere else, if not on fact sheets? I, I, I've not seen companies actively going out and saying they're doing that. I mean, it's positive that Bailey Gifford are taking that stance. I, I would expect that you might find that other companies start to follow, but probably only companies that have a low turnover because they want to go out and it looks positive. It would be interesting to see a company come out and say, actually, look at us. We are very active. We have a high turnover because that then gives more focus in terms of them, whether the charges are reflective of that and then whether the performances as well. Um, the, the the point I think that one of the points that Emma made there, which is a key point, is is the word active, because investment funds and investment companies are under a lot of pressure now from passive investments, um, where charges clearly have, have come down quite considerably over the past few years or so, and so they're having to demonstrate more that they can add value, and transparency is is one way in which they should be doing that. Okay, thanks Pat and Emma. And you can see the full list of what PTR's Bailey Gifford funds have in the magazine and on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. That brings us to the end of this week's show, so it just remains to thank Emma Adjumang, personal finance writer at Investors Chronicle, and Patrick Connolly, certified financial planner at Chase DeVere. You can read more in the autumn statement, funds for beating inflation and portfolio turnover ratios in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. <laughs>